Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. It's not too often that any one of us is going to fall victim to a scam. It's, it's, it's a risk, but it's not such a huge risk that we should be worried about it every moment of every day. We should be worried about it when it matters. And there's some things that you can kind of learn up the top that you just know, at least for the scams that are available right now, are always going to be scams. Hello, and welcome to the Psychology Podcast. Today, we welcome Daniel Simmons and Christopher Chabry to the show. Daniel Simmons is a professor of psychology at the University of Illinois, where he heads the Visual Cognition Laboratory. His research explores the limits of awareness and memory, the reasons why we often are unaware of those limits, and the implications for our personal and professional lives. Christopher Chabry is professor and co-director of the Behavioral and Decision Sciences Program at Geisinger Health System. He is also faculty co-director of Geisinger's Behavioral Insights team. From 2014 to 2017, he wrote a monthly column called Game On for the Wall Street Journal. His essays have been published in several media outlets. Daniel and Christopher met at Harvard University in 1997, where they began to collaborate on research. In 2004, they shared the Ig Nobel Prize in Psychology, awarded for the Invisible Gorilla Experiment. Together, they co-authored the New York Times bestselling book of the same name. Their latest book is called Nobody's Full, Why We Get Taken In and What We Can Do About It. In this episode, I talked to Daniel and Christopher about scams and how not to get scammed. With enough information and persuasion, anyone can fall for a scheme. According to Daniel and Christopher, certain cognitive biases can make us vulnerable to deception. So to help us outsmart con people, they elaborate the different types of scams and how they work, all the while giving us tools to navigate shady situations. I really like Daniel and Christopher. I've known Christopher for a while. He was really encouraging of me when I was working my dissertation way back in the day, and I always found him such a brilliant, brilliant human. Daniel I came across when I was doing the National Geographic show Brain Games. And I saw him on that show, and I thought he did a great job on that show. And I've been a really uh, great admirer of his really sound, calm thinking about cognitive science and the biases that we have. So it was great to, to connect with both of them. And I found this a really rich conversation, really relevant to all the scams and cons that are going on in the world today. And I'm sure you'll find it informative as well. So without further ado, I bring you Daniel Simmons and Christopher Chabry. Chris and Dan, it's so nice to have you on the Psychology Podcast. It's great to be here. Good to finally meet you. I'm excited to be back. Yes, welcome back, Chris. Dan, this is the first time I've met you, which is, we were talking earlier before uh, we we recorded that. That's crazy. Yeah, it seems like we should have known each other a decade ago. I feel like I've known you about 15 years. Yeah. (laughs) And Chris, I have known you for quite some time. You look the same. Look at you. <laughs> well, well you can, there are certain hairstyles you can adopt that are timeless. <laughs> yes, that's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But it's no, it's really good to see you again. I feel like we've been out of touch for a while for no good reason. So good to see you again. Same here. This topic, um, well, first of all, I should, should name the title of the book. Nobody's full. 
why we get taken in and what we can do about it. Well, wow, what a timely topic this is. I don't think there's ever been a point in human history. It hasn't been a timely topic, but it just seems, you know, it seems like a pretty timely topic right now. And as illustrated by the fact you have the following types of scams that you cover. And yes, I'm going to run through the list. Ponzi schemes, phishing emails, fake political candidates, business email compromise, romance scams. I want to get to that one later. Forgeries and fakes, hoaxes, bullshitting, doping. Plagiarism, same name scams, affinity fraud, structuring, cherry picking, call center scams, president scam, kidnapping, injury scam. I'm curious why you put those two together. Um, identity theft, scientific paper mills, illusory truth in the big lie, and gaming the metrics. Wow, um, that's a pretty exhaustive list. <laughs> and I think that uh, people can probably think of examples of uh, most of these, if not all of these. So I was wondering, do you guys have a favorite con or scam maybe each of you have your own favorite that you came across as you're working through the book and uh, what can it teach us I, I could take a stab i could take a stab at that one of the ones that i really liked that i discovered sort of while doing research for the book that i really liked was the president scam sometimes called the ceo scam the type goes by different names and we mention it in the very first chapter of the book i think and it's um, it, it works like this. You're, you work for a large organization, a large company, or some kind of middle management type person, and you get a phone call, and the person on the other end of the line says that they're the CEO of your company. And they say that you know they need you to help them execute some kind of project, and they're going directly to you because there's urgency, or they, they don't want to involve certain other departments, or they, they need to keep this confidential so it doesn't, doesn't spread around too much. And it results in you getting talked into sending uh, a large amount of corporate funds to some kind of you know bank account, wire transfer, or even in some cases, you know, taking out cash and bringing it someplace and like handing it through a doorway to someone who you don't even see. A amazingly enough, it, it works in some cases. Mm. It's kind of audacious in the way that, the, you know, the con artist just like calls someone up and pretends to be the CEO of their company and, and it works. And there's a few reasons, I think, why it, why it can work. It seems outlandish that anyone would fall for it, but it's, it's worked uh, over and over again. I don't know. That one just came to mind right now as being like mm -hmm. something that yeah. I didn't know existed before working on this book. And yet I think we were sort of able to sort of fit it in like all the other ones into the framework that we talk about in the book. Definitely. Dan, do you have a favorite? I like the audacious ones as well, but I actually think it's more informative to think about the ones that aren't so audacious, the ones that are kind of, you know, mundane, but that work really well on ordinary people, right? So like bullshitting, um, <laughs> the bullshitting category. Well, um, you know, that, that's an interesting question. And I'm not sure that that always counts as a con. That's more of a question of just not being clearly true or false. Mm. I think the one that you mentioned, why do we group these two together? The injury mm. kidnapping one yeah. is actually a really common one now. And there are very many variants of it, right? So mm. this is one where it's a somewhat targeted scam, but not hugely. Right? They will call up a parent or a grandparent and say, your kid's been in an injury. We need you to send money right away so we can get them whatever they need in an emergency. Right? Or your kid's been kidnapped and they I, oh, I see. produce sounds sounding like your kid and ask you to send money right away. Right. And that's one I think is is it's not I wouldn't call it a favorite. It's I think one of the most egregious and horrible ones because it's yeah. preying on people's fear as opposed to preying on their greed. Right. So, you know, when, when somebody falls for a scam that promises them huge amounts of money really quickly, it's like, yeah, okay. They took something that was too good to be true and believed it. Mm. In this case, they're taking something that is terrifying to them. They're under huge time pressure and they're taking advantage of that to take money from people who might be really desperate. So, and that one, that one's really prevalent right now. There are lots of variants of it that are out there and some of them target just enough. They find out who your kids are based on social media stuff, and then they target one person at a time. Um, that is so horrifying. Yeah. Um, it makes me think of a question I wanted to ask you later on, but I'll, I'll ask it right now. And that's, you know, when, when AI gets a little bit better, um, are there a lot of more potentials for scammers to do all sorts of creative things? I think that scam in particular is going yeah. to be a disaster when we're, we're not quite there yet, but when you can do AI voice synthesis without having to have people record, say, 15 minutes of audio with really prescribed statements so that they can really characterize your whole voice range, when they're able to do that sort of learning of your voice from much more minimal audio mm -hmm. content, then imagine how that scam works when 
they put your kid on the line and it's actually their voice, that's just going to be that much more powerful. So, you know, it's one of those scams where I think it would be really in people's interest to try and um, anticipate it and prevent it in advance um, by, for example, having a family passcode mm. so that if you get a call and they're, you're being put under time pressure and somebody's in danger, they should always be able to give you that passcode if that's really them. And if they can't, you know, it's probably a scam. Yeah. Um, I know that they're, they are able to do music now um, in a artist's voice. You can compose new music and then use the voice to, to sing it. Yeah. Um, so maybe there'll be scams where it'll be like, hey, this is Drake calling and <laughs> yeah. I really like you and just give me money and I'll give you my new song. I don't know. <laughs> they, I mean, they probably well, can Drake, do that already. Yeah. Drake really must be on hard times if he needs to start calling random well, people for money. Right. <laughs> Doesn't he have like the most like the most top ten hits ever or something? Isn't yes, that enough? Yes, yeah. yes, you know? yes, yes. Uh, well, I mean, I would think that for sure, but uh, but yeah. I am it does raise an interesting question. There are some scams where you think like, come on, who's gonna fall for that? But but from an evolutionary uh point of view, they wouldn't exist. Uh, or at least the evolutionary process uh, metaphor, so to speak, it wouldn't exist if 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 people didn't fall for it, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's scams that will hit anybody, right? It's yeah. it's you might not fall for the most obvious ones, right? And and yeah. Chris might not fall for the Drake fake song asking me for money, you know, one. But you know, the right <laughs> targeting might, can get any of us. Right? I mean, look, well, somebody I, might. I, yeah. I don't want to bring up the tr whole Trump thing, but he raised like, but I'm going to. <laughs> He raised how much money in the last five days to help him uh, because of his he's a victim he's a victim of the wall. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> millions uh, and millions of dollars. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I think there's a lot of dynamics going on there, and politics, and polarization, and you know, rhetoric, and and so on. Yeah. Certainly, political communication is definitely an area we talk about a little bit in the book. Um, yeah, and, and some more sort of subtle aspects of politics too, like not, not just sort of like what messages politicians say and, and, and so on, but even tactics like, um, you know, running fake candidates or real candidates, I should say, but who are only run for the purpose of diluting the vote of other candidates, you know, by having similar names, um, or more recognizable names or more, uh, American sounding names, let's say, than competing candidates. And some elections these days, you know, are close enough. That, you know, if you can change a few hundred votes here, a few thousand votes there, you know, the whole, you know, the whole uh, legislature might, you know, might flip to the other party or something like that. And those kinds of techniques directly, you know, try to exploit some of the tendencies that we talk about in the book, the, the, the framework that we describe of the habits we follow when we're making decisions and the kinds of information um, that hook us. Uh, even, but by the way, even the two that you, when you asked us our favorites, right, the president scam I mentioned, and Dan talked about kidnapping injury scams, they really both start from, you know, the very same thing, which is truth bias, um, which we talk about in the book. And you mentioned evolution, right? Sort of like, you know, I, I think, you know, it's safe to say that there's something about the way the mind has evolved where we tend to believe what people tell us, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the beginning of both of those scams, right? Like if you don't believe your, your CEO would call you up and they're on the phone, or you don't believe that your kid might, you know, get injured and, you know, and someone would call you about it, you know, that's, you know, there you go. That, that starts the process. What do you do if that happens and your kid's sitting right next to you? you know, <laughs> like you're like, Jimmy, uh, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Keep the, keep the scammers on the, on the phone as long as you can, yeah. because you, you know, it's a scam. So yeah. you're wasting yeah. their time and keeping them from bothering somebody else. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, polarization is an interesting case, right? Because, one of the intents of polarization is to ramp up the commitment of the people who already agree with you, right? To make their commitment more and more extreme. And when you're really committed to a position or a statement or a belief, it's really hard to challenge it, right? So mm -hmm. you're willing to take on more and more stuff that might be way outside the mainstream norms just because you're already kind of committed and you assume that this person is telling you the truth. Yeah, there's all kinds of mistakes you can make if you have a fixed belief, which we call a commitment, and then you must arrange all your sort of downstream inferences and beliefs to be consistent with that one you started with. So, for example, if you believe that Trump always tells the truth, which some people do, 
you can then convince yourself of all kinds of other things, because if they are inconsistent with Trump telling the truth, then they can't be true. Right. Or maybe less politically, we talk about um, this phenomenon called the Mandela effect, which you which you probably know about, where people think that some people sort of convince themselves that they had a strong memory of Nelson Mandela having died, you know, in prison, you know, decades before he was released and became president of South Africa. And so if in light of the fact that everybody else seems to think that Nelson Mandela did not die in prison and did become president of South Africa, they can convince themselves that the timeline must have been forked or some sinister forces are like rewriting, you know, all the record books and libraries and everything like that. And it's all because they believe my memory must be true, right? Mm. If they didn't have that fixed commitment to their memory being correct, they wouldn't arrive at all these absurd conclusions. What is this phenomenon? So Trump went to a restaurant for 10 minutes after his indictment. He said, food for everyone. And then he left after 10 minutes and didn't pay anyone anything. <laughs> now his, his defenders are saying, no, all he said was food for everyone. You know, he's just noting that everyone's going to be eating at some point. He didn't say <laughs> it was a statement uh, of fact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, what is that distortion? Cognitive distortion? What is that? Uh, well, confirmation you can also, bias? You, you can yeah. You can request something for other people without necessarily meaning you're going to pay for it yourself, right? Oh, well, yeah, but I'm saying, well, yeah, but you understand my question. Yeah. So what are you saying? You're you're one of Trump's defenders? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> you're like, yeah, well, I see I, what they're I, saying. I see what Chris is like. No, that's a very logical point that the Trump supporters are making. Well, re remember that um, in the previous campaign and the very first Trump campaign, right, there was this distinction between taking him literally and taking him seriously. Right? <laughs> so um, I suppose like here, you know, if you don't, if you take him literally, what exactly does that mean? Wow. You know? This is one of these instances because Chris uh, is a very literal person. He could be taken <laughs> in. He could be taken in by something like that. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, like technically, technically, uh, he's not wrong. Well, uh, you know, why, why do people, yeah, why do people come up with those sort of silly explanations of, of what yes, why food for everyone didn't mean he was yes. paying for everyone's food? Yes, I mean, hard to say in, in the case of anybody's particular belief, but I think, you know, I think commitment, you know, the, the concept of commitment that we that we talked about is definitely is definitely part of it. You know, if, if you have some inherent belief that someone's a good person and, and that they you know wouldn't lie or, or wouldn't cheat or something like that you will sort of figure out why what they said was not an instance of <laughs> doing that, you know, yeah. or of bullshitting or whatever, you know, whatever you want to yeah. call it, right? And somebody looking at it from the outside who has no commitments looks at it and says, well, you know, it's kind of obvious mm -hmm. that he was saying he was going to pay and then didn't. And then you can get into his motivations. Why would he do that? But that's actually one thing we don't really want to do all that much in this book. So there, there are lots of stories about, you know, what motivates this con artist? Why are they trying to do what they're doing? And that's less of interest to us than why do people believe things that con artists tell them? Yeah, for sure. Well, you offer tools, which is really valuable. Um, one is called the possibility grid, which can help us notice when we're being misled by the information we aren't considering. Can you talk a little bit about what the heck the possibility grid is? <laughs> Chris, do you want to start with that one? Uh, I'll try. Okay. It's pretty simple. And I think maybe a good way to start is with an example. And this is an example that we actually have in the book. Imagine you see an advertisement on you know, a website or something like that. And it says, it's got a picture of a guy and it says, this guy picked uh, Amazon you know, in 1997 and Tesla in 2010. And he's about to introduce his next stock pick. Like that is almost word for word an actual advertisement that followed me around on the internet for, you know, for years. You know, like that one weird old tip ad that used to follow people around to every website they went to. This one, this one followed me. Yeah. And, you know, it's very encouraging. Like we should click this guy. He picked, you know, two of the like biggest growing stocks ever, you know, and, you know, let's see what he's got to say next. But what the advertiser is doing is really focusing our attention on just one out of four boxes in um, what we call the possibility grid. So in this case, imagine like a two by two grid of boxes. And the top row of boxes is stocks this guy picked. And then the left column is ones we wish we had bought, right? So stocks he picked and we wish we had bought Amazon and Tesla. And that's what they're really focusing on, right? We wish we had bought Amazon when this guy picked it. We wish we had bought Tesla when this guy picked it. We'd be millionaires or more by now. But notice that that top row, stocks this guy picked, you know, also might include things we don't wish we had bought. 
And they're not telling us about any of his other picks. Like what if he picked pets.com right before it like went bankrupt or something like that in the internet age? Or what if he picked any one of a number of other internet stocks that like, you know, you could have lost all your money on. And then of course there's other stocks we wish we had bought. That's that left column, remember, but the bottom row is like ones he didn't pick. So how come he didn't pick Apple? How come he didn't pick Microsoft? How come he didn't, right? We don't know about all the stocks he didn't pick that we wish we had you know, bought. And then of course there's the bottom right corner, which are the ones he didn't pick and, and we didn't wish we had bought. But if you just think about those other three boxes, besides the one that the ad is trying to focus us on, those two winning stock picks, those are the other possibilities, right? So we call it the possibility grid because there are other possibilities for what could have happened or what might be happening that our attention is not being drawn to. So, wow. you know, you don't need to know how many stocks are in those other boxes. You just need to realize that there's a lot more than two. <laughs> and in yeah. fact, those two things are like very unrepresentative of, you know, what's likely to happen, you know, if you take this guy's next pick. He must have picked other stocks because like you can't make a living picking one stock every 13 years or something right. like that, you know. Right. But of course, he's not telling you about all of his failed picks and all of the, the picks he wishes he had made but didn't and so on. So just thinking about the possibilities really helps us avoid being misled by this kind of information stream of, of anecdotal experiences that people want us to make decisions on. How would that have protected us against someone like Bernie Madoff, who was had fake stocks anyway? You know, like he was just like, it's all positive. Uh, you trust me, trust me. <laughs> it's not <laughs> that one might not have, right? I mean, it, it's yeah. that what that possibility grid really helps with are cases where people are getting us to focus on just what's right in front of us at that moment and giving you a selection of the information. So not everything. Right? So mm. every business book you've ever re ever read that talks about all the great strategies a CEO adopted that led to their success, right? Right. That's all in that one corner of the possibility grid. We don't yes. talk about, you know, all of the things that they did that failed, or we don't talk about all of the other people who did exactly the same thing they did and crashed and burned, right? Sorry. And all the other things that led to success. So it's, it's well. essentially focusing you in on anecdotes and testimonials. And when you do that, you don't think about all of the other kinds of information that might actually tell you whether or not something is even associated with success. Oh my gosh. I mean, this yeah. just harkens back. I'll get you in a second, Chris. This goes way back to a pet peeve Chris and I had like over a decade ago about all the research about greatness. <laughs> it, like, you know, even yeah. like the 10 hour rule, you know, it's like, uh, like he's yeah. starting with the experts and he's like, this is what the experts have. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, I don't feel well, like, I don't feel like he did the possibility grid. It's even, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's even worse. It could be that the causality is, is, is backwards, right? So mm -hmm. the, there's a whole genre of business writing nowadays, which says, you know, Amazon runs its meetings this way, mm -hmm. or Google gives its employees free food for lunch and dinner and free dry cleaning and everything like that. And, and the unspoken implication of all of these is that Google does it, therefore you should do it too, because Google is an incredibly successful company. And of course, they're incredibly successful and they probably have some good ideas for how to run things, but not necessarily every way they do things contributes to their success. It could be that they can afford to do those things because they're so successful, mm -hmm. right? Once you're making that much profit, you can start giving away more stuff to your employees. You can adopt maybe hiring practices that wouldn't actually work for other firms that, that, that other firms can't afford or that wouldn't work. Yeah. And I'm not trying to single out Google, but like there's, there's ones, you know, about many of these, like Facebook used to be, you know, talked mm -hmm. about in the same way and, yeah, uh, right. you know, and, and so on. And there's always like this, this must be the secret to their success. It's probably in most cases reverse causality That's or no causality at all just an association yeah, just, just, right. a quirky, just a quirky quirky thing about jeff bezos you know yeah. and that has nothing to do with whether a company is well run or something like that absolutely absolutely yeah does facebook still exist by the way <laughs> I, I haven't <laughs> okay. been on there in like 10 years <laughs> yeah well, <it's>, uh, <laughs> oh i don't know about that scott <laughs> it's meta meta platforms inc meta, uh, i guess yeah, if meta. we want to get uh, if we want to get fancy but it's not as it. big it's not as big as it used to be right i mean most people Depends what age you are uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, i should say i should say because i know chris likes tech you know being precise i'm not as active on facebook these days <laughs> as, I, as i used to be by an exponential margin <laughs> yeah 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 I, I think um you know one thing about social media whether it's facebook or others is that Related to what you said at the very beginning about the book being timely, I think social media is one of the aspects of the internet and, and modern technologies that actually makes scamming, you know, easier to carry out in high volume. I mean, maybe AI will sort of further, you know, accelerate this process, but mm. before the internet, before social media and so on, the infamous Nigerian email scams oh, yes. were sent out by letter. 
you know, and then by fax, you know, and so on. So the technology actually sort of it seems to be often making it easier, you know, for uh, scammers to uh, to operate, whether it's, you know, Facebook or, or anywhere else. Especially for those scams that aren't targeting an individual, but are targeting sending out something to millions of people and hoping that a tiny subset of them respond and give them their money. Right? Like the Nigerian email scam, that's not going to fool the vast majority of people because we've all seen it before. But there's still enough people out there who haven't that if you blast out millions of emails, you'll get enough to make it profitable. And you know that that's mm. that's going to be you know that that doesn't change. That just makes it easier and easier to not target to just reach out and let people self-select into a scam. I feel like your magician's telling me the secrets. So uh, what is the Nigerian? <laughs> you're like, let me just go down the list of the most famous magician acts of all time. And let me tell you how it really works. How does the Nigerian email scam really work? Because you talk about that in your book. Yeah, I, th I think one of the ways to think about this is, you know, when you get that email, and if you look in your spam folder, there probably are still, I find them every day still um, in different variants. What they have in common is they typically have a bizarre greeting. They typically have broken Sir. English. Yeah. yeah, sirs or, you know, dear valued person or something. There's nonsensical greeting and sign-offs. They almost all have this character of, we just need a little bit of your help in order to recover this vast fortune and then we'll reward you, right? So it's what's known as an advance fee scam. They get you to pay something and then they get you to pay a little more and then pay a little more with the promise in advance that you're going to get something back when you don't actually yeah. get something back. But you know that you might think, okay, well, maybe they should use Chat GPT to make their emails more coherent, right? They could do that, but then what you'd have is people who are at least somewhat skeptical responding to the emails. And if you have people who are somewhat skeptical responding, then you have to deal with them and interact with them. But those are not the people who are likely to send in money in the end because they're mm. probably not gullible enough. They're skeptical about this. They just want to check. And it's much harder to persuade somebody who going in is a little bit skeptical than somebody who thinks, oh, this is a great opportunity. So you need to reach that tiny percentage of people for whom this email still looks good enough to be possible as opposed to too good to be true. So by blasting it out to millions of people and making it ridiculous sounding, they filter out the skeptics and leave just the people who are most likely to send in their money in the end, because it takes them a lot of time to interact with those people. It's also the same reason why a lot of phishing emails, you know, they might have like the Apple logo in them, but they never look exactly like a real like official Apple email. And I think that's on purpose because it would really be easy to copy and paste like the HTML code from a real Apple email and then just modify it. I think they don't want people who are attentive to detail. They want people who will just be taken in by seeing an Apple logo and some, you know, little fine print at the bottom and not realize something's not quite right about this, right? They don't want those people who pay that much attention, right? They want all those people to just opt out of the scam by pressing delete, you know, and they never want to hear about or think about those people again. And, and you know, the, the same principle works for a lot of the sort of robocalls you get, right? So if you get those calls for extending your car's warranty, right, um, oh, yeah, they almost always leave a voicemail and a callback number. And if you call back, you've self-selected into the scam, mm. right? Because most people just ignore it and they know to. But anybody who calls back is already already sort of self-selected as somebody interested enough that they might be able to hook them. My mom called back the other day and started yelling at them. And <laughs> I was like, hey? how dare you try to scam me? You That's great. Fuckers. Yeah. You know, yeah. Is if you think about well, your it, your mom is quite your mom is quite salty with the yeah, language on the on the phone. She is. Um, <laughs> and off the well, phone as so well. She, yeah. yeah. So if, if she would pursue this longer, she'd be what's called a scam baiter. And mm. a scam baiter is someone who deliberately engages with scammers having complete understanding that they're trying to scam them and having no intention of ever sending any money, but tries to waste their time so that they can't, you know, they can't scam right. anybody else. So, um, the more, so the if she more would people carry on with this yeah. even more, she'd be doing a service. Yeah, the yes. more people who do that, the less profitable the scam becomes because they're having yeah, to waste yeah. time with, you know, with no profits. Do you, do you know who CoffeeZilla is? Yeah. Coffee I've heard, Zilla. I've heard the name. Who's, who's CoffeeZilla? Remind you me. You guys would love him. Like he's, he's <laughs> millions and millions of viewers on his YouTube channel. His whole career is trying to reveal scammers by pretending to go along with it and then recording everything. Oh yes, that's right. There's some, there's some other guys who do this. Like there's one guy yeah. who like, uncovers these Indian call center scams and then like shows like, you know, broadcast them on YouTube. And he even gets like code into their computers so he can like, you know, hack into reverse hack into their data and so on. Yeah. yeah. 
There are magicians who who do that for people who claim to be having claim to have psychic powers, right? That's a long tradition of mm. of debunking fraudulent, you know, psychic psychics and mentalists. So yeah. interesting. I really enjoy Coffeezilla stuff. So I, mm. I think you guys would as well. It's just right up your alley. It's right up your alley. Okay. I also want to know about. I, I mentioned Bernie Madoff a little bit, but you take a second look at the whole scam that Bernie did. And, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your kind of analysis of the situation. I could take a stab at that. I think one important thing to think about when you hear, when you think of large and complicated scams like Bernie Madoff is one, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos is another, even the president scam, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of these ones really involve uh, sort of hacking into a lot of, of, of uh, our cognitive habits. But I think one of the crucial ones in the Madoff case was the way that he created, in a sense, a new kind of scam that wasn't it's often referred to as a Ponzi scheme, but it was really a modernization of the Ponzi scheme that made it appealing to a more sophisticated and wealthier clientele in some ways. So in the traditional Ponzi scheme, you are offered some ridiculous uh, return on your money, like you'll get a 50% return on investment in six months. I think that might have actually been Ponzi's original proposition it was 50% in six months. And of course, what happens is Money gets paid in by people. And then, you know, after six months, you pay out to the people who paid in six months ago. And you just keep on doing that until, of course, eventually you run out of money because you're not taking in enough money to pay out, you know, to pay out the former people. So Madoff was a Ponzi scheme in that respect, but he didn't offer people 50% in six months. He basically just said, I will manage your money. I'll invest it in high quality stocks. And you know my reputation. I'm a famous guy on Wall Street. You know, there are people I've been managing money for for years and so on. Many people, um, and you'll get about eight to ten percent on your money every year, but it'll be solid. It'll you know, um, it'll be yeah, they trust. It'll you. be you know, con consistent returns. And so the the key element here was the consistency. If you look at like a graph of people's uh, accounts with Madoff, it's just a, a smooth line going straight up. Like it never even ticks down for a month. Like very even rarely goes down for a month. Never went down for a year. Whereas any kind of investment which is correlated with the actual stock market is going to have some good years and some bad years. And typically the good years are just better than the bad years. So in the long run, you know, in the long run, you do go up, but you go up, you know, choppy up and down like that, as opposed to a smooth increasing line. And it was that consistency of the increase that that was the special thing about Madoff's uh, proposition that made it a different kind of scheme and really, you know, suck people in who would have recognized the obvious scam, you know, but this was this was harder. Just put it in perspective how important that consistency was. His fund underperformed the S&P over the course of his fraud, right? Mm -hmm. So he wasn't actually giving people bigger overall average returns. He was just smoothing out all the noise so that there was no downside risk. So it was basically like a treasury, but with 8 to 10% returns, right? Which You know, the thing that boggles my mind about these scammers, I mean, some of them take a lot of work. Like it yeah. sounds exhausting to me. It sounds like uh, you could put that money in and work at McDonald's and make the same. I mean, man, the same amount. But, <laughs> but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm saying, but I'm saying, like if you extrapolate the amount of hours he put in towards that to almost any other job of an honest person's. I mean, he put in a lot of work. He it's not billions. like he's lazy. But the thing is, it's not like he's lazy. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like that's no. what boggles my mind. Yeah. yeah, he's so unlazy that he was running a legitimate, yeah. you know, stock market business at the yeah. same time. Which, uh, according to according to one of the sources that we read, he could have sold his legitimate business for yeah. two or three billion dollars. Amazing to Goldman Sachs or something like that, and that would have been more money than he made, you know, in the history of the Ponzi scheme. But he couldn't sell it because it was because it was connected to the Ponzi scheme, and the Ponzi scheme would have been uncovered if he had actually gone through the entire process of mm -hmm. trying to sell the operation. So he sort of trapped himself, right? And, and I think himself. part of part yes. of what happened in his case, I, we again, we don't really try to like get into the minds of the scammers very much, but I think part of what happens in, in some of these cases is that you're, you're doing it and you have to keep on doing it to maintain, you know, to maintain it, even if you, even if you don't necessarily want to. You trapped yourself, yeah. Yeah, he, and he had, and also he had to pay the people who ran the scam more and more over time because he couldn't risk them revealing it to anyone, and so on. So he had to sort of, you know, keep them, you know, well, well taken care of, and so on. It's quite an enterprise, like you say. It's it's Ooh. it's almost why why was it worth it? But I think that's a good yeah. insight, Scott. Though, because you know, Thank a you. lot of these scams, things like the Nigerian email scam, 
you know, there's not a huge amount of work to sending the, those emails. There is a huge amount of work to wriggling in the fish, right? Yeah. But some of the scams, you know, I think one of the things we talk about in this is when you're at risk is to think about how much could a scammer get out of this, right? So if somebody's trying to pass off fake art, high-end art, Jackson Pollock's or something, it's worth it to them to go to a huge amount of effort to fake the history of the painting, to demonstrate that it's been exhibited in places, to get experts mm -hmm. to kind of certify it. Because if they can do those things, the payout is gigantic. So they might spend years setting up one fraud and a huge amount of work, but if it works, their payout is gigantic. So those are yeah. cases where you may be looking at something that has all of the signs of being fine, yeah. and you have to think to yourself, okay, if they were trying to fool me, you know, it, how much money is on the, on the line? How much of my risk is, is there really? And mm. if it's big enough, think about how much they could actually do. I mean, mm. magicians often will spend huge amounts of effort setting up yeah. an effect That's right? True. and practice for ages getting it just right so that you don't see what their method is right, for the effect. Right? They, they, they hide it by practicing extensively and working out details extensively that you don't ever think about. You don't ever see. You just see them performing on stage and it looks just kind of fluid and natural and effortless. But there is a huge amount of effort that goes into any stage magic performance to make sure it's exactly right um, because they have an incentive to try and fool a lot of people. You're right. You're right. There seems to be a big difference between you know, the kind of magicians you see in Vegas and you all kind of, it's not like they're saying, just so you know, this is real, you know, but, and, and mediums, it feels like mediums are scammers. Am I wrong? Um, the people no. who pass, <laughs> yeah, not at all. The people who pass themselves like a off. Difference, but yes. they're magicians, they're magicians, but they're, I feel like there's a difference between them and like they're, stage They're magicians. using magical yeah. methods, but the difference between an ethical magician and somebody who's passing right. themselves off as a psychic is that an ethical magician, like say Penn, when he's doing a mentalism act, will say, this is all magic. There is no true mentalism here. I'm not, I'm not psychic, right? Good. And they'll make it very clear. Of course, they'll design it so that you can't come up with any explanation other than them being psychic, but they're not pretending to be something that they aren't. A lot of mentalists probably don't even realize they're using magical methods, right? I mean, I think a lot of people who do the sort of mind reading, mentalism, cold reading stuff, they think they genuinely have psychic abilities. And when somebody comes along and debunks them, it's jarring for them because they didn't realize it. Then they're the people who are, you know, knowingly doing what they're doing. You know, the, the, the obvious frauds out there who are passing themselves off as psychics know full well that they're not. Those are, those are the, the grief vultures and the, the grief vampires, the people who are like taking advantage of other people. Um, those, those are the ones who, you know, really get, give sort of the magic end of things a bad name. Yeah. You know, this is a really important question though. Why do people sometimes ignore those red flags, even if it's so obvious and they do see it at some level, they should know it's too good to be true. Why do they still go ahead with it? Well, I mean, often people, if, if they see that it's too good to be true, they probably won't, right? If it's just good enough, then, you know, they could be a little bit skeptical, but they have to find it appealing enough to know that, well, maybe it's true. And then then there's a chance. But a lot of scams are, you know, I think it comes back to whether the scam, whether you're the target of the scam, right? Mm. When you're the target of the scam, it's going to sound plausible or at least somewhat plausible to you. Whereas if you're not the target of the scam, like for the Nigerian email scam, it doesn't sound plausible at all. You never fall for that. Yeah. I think there are some decision-making concepts also that can help with that. Like for example, sunk costs and escalation of commitment. So like once you go down a path for a certain amount of time, you've invested your time, your energy, and you also have sort of, you know, in a way made a commitment, you know, to a certain outcome. This is often used to explain like military decision making and so on. Right. But but even just, um, you know, bad business decision making. Right. Like we we started planning this thing and we started, you know, building this thing and so on. Now we have to finish, even if it's going to cost us five times as much, you know, and we. Right. So I think that sometimes is involved in this kind of individual decision making, like the idea of ultimately getting these riches or owning a real Jackson Pollock for, you know, or, or whatever sort of, you know, can exert influence in that way um, because you've invested, you know, your time and, you know, energy and resources and, 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 and belief in it. Right. And, and of course, some of the con artists know this, at least implicitly, and take advantage of it. Right. So they, oh, yeah. they use standard persuasion techniques, get your foot in the door, get you started, and then keep you hooked. 
Yeah. I mean, the Nigerian, the Nigerian thing is exactly like that, right? Like they were always keep on asking for more money. Nobody ever gets any money back from this thing, right? It's always just more, more, more that you send until eventually they disappear, right? Yes, yes. Well, I think of this in some cases, you know, I was watching this Netflix documentary about this, the Tinder swindler, you know, and like, there was a particular type of woman who was particularly susceptible, particularly looking for a very rich man who will take care of them, right? And, you know, he's kind of promising them the world and everything. It's It, it, it can't be, you know, that true, but, but they want to believe it so, so much. Well, they're the they're the target, right? In the, in the same way that somebody who res, somebody responds to a Nigerian email, yes. right? Scam. Yes. yes. They have this fantasy of coming into wealth, right? Of coming into riches yes. and they'll solve all their problems. Or, you know, people who end up on boards of companies that tend to be frauds, they are looking for somebody to kind of bolster their reputation to show you know show that they're in on something new. Different frauds are going to target people with different desires, right? And you know, you or I might not fall for a Tinder, Tinder swindler, swindler scam. Um, <laughs> you know, but we're not we're not the target for that one, right? I, but there are scams out there that will target, you know, people like you or me. I think the romance scams are, in a way, especially fascinating because Very they're fascinating. appealing to sort of people's like you sort of your deepest like you know most you know your your most fundamental like critical needs and desires right, right. for for Correct. you know partnership marriage you know family children whatever all the most important things like in in the lifetime right of a of a human being in a way are sort of like in there aside from maybe money which is most of the other scams although there's money involved in romance scams too but on the other hand it's also the area where you would think people ought to be the most discerning right and often they are right like there's a lot of like a lot of pickiness and you know and like choosing a, a maid and so on so in a way they're sort of fascinating it's fascinating that they work but on the other hand, not so surprising that they have such appeal. And I think they work along a lot of the same principles that we talk about in the book for other kinds of scams. You know, there's often a selection process going on here. Like, you know, the Tinder swindler probably messaged a lot of women, you know, and only a few of them like got back to him, you know, That's and it were able to form like a relationship. Amazingly enough, he was able to carry on apparently multiple of these relationships that, you know, at once some of these people have like three families, you know, and so on. They also rely on um, sort of like people not asking the question of what's missing, like, what am I not being told? What what should be here that, you know, is not apparent? You know, people will say like, oh, I've got to be away on business for two weeks. Like, oh, OK, yeah. no problem. You know, and then like you have no, you know, you, you don't think about what's going on during these other two weeks, you know, and like what is. Why is there, there are sort of weird signs and we don't ask, like, what is behind those? It's a lot of the same, you know, it's a lot yeah. of the same uh, concepts that work for all the other kinds of, of scams. I hear you guys. Let me broaden one more thing about uh, romance scams. A lot of romance scams are not like the Tinder swindler, right? A lot of romance scams target older, lonely people, widowers. Oh people who have lost somebody recently. That breaks my heart. See, that breaks my heart. That breaks my heart. Yeah, that, that's why they're so egregious. And those are those are often the ones, like many of these scams, that target the elderly um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. That's that's probably the most common type of romance scam. It's not it's not the, you know, young people who are looking for kind of the perfect relationship. It's people who are lonely. Um, yeah, that that's really sad. who are much more sympathetic, right? Well, that actually leads into my next question, which is, is it true that only gullible people get conned? Why or why not? Well, almost by definition, a gullible people, a gullible person maybe is someone who is who has been conned. They fell for something, right? But I think Circular. it's not true that there are like a class of people that we could identify beforehand who are the ones who are, you know, going to be victimized and everybody who's not in that class yeah. are safe and free to go about their business without yeah. worrying, right? So there's always like some kind of con that could be constructed for any one of us. It's just that the constructor has to maybe know something about us or figure out like what our tendencies are, what our expectations are. That's an important aspect of it, sort of like what we, you know, giving us what we predict is going to happen is a great way of sort of gaining our confidence and then being able to, you know, to swindle us. But for each person, that might be different, right? So it is, it's, there's no just like one class of gullible people and everyone else is safe. Yeah, we're right. all, unfortunately, we're all potential victims. And there, there's certainly a range, yeah. right? I mean, there certainly are some people who are more likely, who are, go through life being a lot less skeptical than others, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, I mean, they're, they're more likely to fall for something. 
than, than somebody who's much, much more skeptical all the time. But we, none of us can kind of be constant skeptics, right? We can't double check everything in our lives. So sure. yeah, we're, we're all subject to being deceived under the right conditions. I mean, and I think one of the themes that comes through all, all, over and over again in these cons that we run across in the book is that highly successful people get, sc get scammed, right? Mm -hmm. Highly successful people with a great track record of, you know, decision making and expertise and education. Yeah. Get fooled. I remember this story I read. It was a crazy, crazy ass story. Wow. About a, a professor at Harvard. Some people say genius who was scanned by these two women who, uh, you know, pretended that they fell in love with him and they, they, they exploited him and took all his money. So and, here's uh, a scam that's hitting academics right now. So this is a group that's, you know, generally pretty well educated and generally good critical thinkers. Uh, it's a conference scam. So you've been invited to some conference. The scammers I get this email all the time. Yeah, but this is this isn't this isn't just the fake conference. This is oh, a genuine okay. conference. You're invited oh. to a conference. You're giving a speech at this conference or a talk at this conference. The scammers look up the attendees and speakers at the conference. They call them up and say, "We're the organizers of this conference. We're booking the hotel rooms for oh. people. We're coordinating that. So provide us your card information." And we'll get your travel arranged and we'll get your hotel arranged. They have nothing to do with the conference. They're just stealing your card information. And a lot of academics have fallen for this, right? Because Wait. we're busy. We know that sometimes there are conference organizers. Sometimes they do want your card information, right? So yes. this is this is a scam that's targeted at people who are specifically not necessarily gullible, but who are busy, right? And who do yeah. these sorts of things enough that they often have other people organizing things for them. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's it's incredible. Yeah. That I need I need to look out for that one. Uh yeah. Also, it entered my head. How come I never thought of that one? That's a good scam. <laughs> that's a, that's yeah. actually pretty freaking brilliant. That's oh, pretty that, that's, freaking brilliant. That's the idea. Yeah. Often inserting the scammers will insert themselves into a process that's kind of standard, right? So, wow. you know, how many how many emails do we all get all the time from, you know, our organization about things that are happening on campus, things we have to do? And we don't read those closely. If they send us a link, you have to do this training this week, and they send you a link. Like, well, mm -hmm. Do you click the link? If you're not reading very carefully, you might. You know, why do I constantly get emails like, uh, we would, due to your high academic record, we would love for you to submit an article to the Journal of Theoretical Physics, you know, <laughs> uh, today, 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 yeah. you know, there's some, you know, there's some catch, you know, in the name, it's like, yeah. it's like physics tomorrow, you know, and it's yeah. like, yeah. Uh, but why, why does, why do I get so, like, that's so obvious, like, I'm not well, a physicist, do they not even, I haven't, screen? Yeah. I haven't answered those either, I get similar ones, and, and they follow up with these very polite things, you know, so you may have missed our email yesterday, you know, and so, but I, maybe, maybe Dan is onto something. Maybe at the end of it all, there's going to be some kind of page charge for the open access fees, you know, to publish your article in their journal, and they will just use your credit card information for identity theft or other, you know, other processes. Maybe that's part of what they're after in the end. Yeah. I don't quite understand how a lot of those work, but people have gone to these fake conferences because they're, they're desperate to kind of meet the academic incentive of getting stuff onto their resume of invited talks and you know, so there, there's incentives there. This stuff is so fascinating. I think that uh, it's important at this point to talk about how we can strike a balance between going through life perpetually skeptical and trusting and cynical yeah. and being, you know, also having a love for humanity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I remember well, Chris. I remember before yeah. Chris answers, I remember on his office door is a thing that Chris said is something along the lines like, I love humans individually. Uh, or something like that, or collectively. Collectively, I like humans, but individually, I don't care for them too much. Chris, was something was like that. that? My office, was that yes, on my office yes. door. <laughs> I don't know where. I don't know where. I, I don't know where I got that or why I put it there. Mm -hmm. But it's certainly the case that it's. I, I think it's not easy to have the right balance there. And like going back to truth bias that we mentioned very early on, right? Like one reason we have truth bias is that you couldn't have you know, a falsehood bias, because then you'd just be questioning everything. You wouldn't believe anything you saw. You wouldn't be able to even have a conversation and make a lunch plan with anyone because you'd be always wondering, like, will they actually show up? Does that restaurant exist? You know, like, and, and so on, right? So you need to have a truth bias. It's too costly to check everything. That's why we have the truth bias. As Dan alluded to earlier, one of the critical ways to differentiate when you need to check more is the stakes of the decision. So if it's like a single decision with high stakes, right? That's a good time to check more. Like before you pick a financial advisor who gets all your money, 
you know, you really need to do some investigating, right? Because that's all your money. And it's probably a decision you're going to stick with for years, you know, if not, if not longer. But, you know, before you decide where to eat lunch, you know, not necessarily like exactly that, that same, you know, that, that same thing. So looking at the costs and benefits, you know, is definitely the, I would say the first principle, the, the first way to strike the balance. But, you know, Dan probably has some other, some other suggestions on, on that topic too. Well, I mean, I, th- I think that's the biggie. We, you know, we all get deceived on a tiny scale probably all the time. Yeah. And most of the time, that's just irrelevant. It just doesn't matter. You know, if, if a grocery store slightly, it doesn't give you the price on the, that was marked on the shelf and it, they charge you an extra dollar, if you can afford that extra dollar, it's not something that you probably want to spend your time on because you don't want to have to go through every item on the shelves and make sure that it's labeled appropriately. And then you don't want to check if a product claims that it's organic. Do you want to actually go out to the farm that produced it and make sure that they were only using non or non-chemical processes? I mean, at some level, you can't do it. Right? So, and we wouldn't want to, right? we, it's because, you know, the Madoff scam, big time scams like that are probably rare. Right? Mm. I mean, it's not too often that any one of us is going to fall victim to a scam. It's, it's, it's a risk, but it's not such a huge risk that we should be worried about it every moment of every day. We should be worried about it when it matters. And there's some things that you can kind of learn up the top that you just know, at least for the scams that are available right now, are always going to be scams. If anybody ever asks you to go out and buy a prepaid cash card and read the number to them, it is a scam. Mm. It, that just doesn't happen in any sort of normal business Wait, transaction. Say that again. Say that once more. Anytime somebody calls you and demands under huge amounts of pressure that you go out and get a prepaid cash card oh. or a get Apple gift card or whatever. And this goes around. I mean, my mother was, uh, was potentially a victim of that scam today. Um, mm. But fortunately, didn't go out and buy an Apple gift card. But it's a really common scam. Call up and tell people that they're at risk. They have to send cash right away, get them on the line, get them hooked, and then ask them to buy gift cards, cash cards, right? Mm. Anytime somebody asks you to buy a cash card or a gift card for them, right, on their behalf, it's almost always going to be a scam. And you should, you know, hang up. Right. There, there's yeah, nothing they no, can do to you. <laughs> no, no, no government agency in the, in, in the U.S. or probably the world collects significant fines and fees by asking people to buy gift cards and read them the numbers over the phone like that. Right. That is just not a thing, you know, right. but, but it's a surprisingly common element of scams. So, right. you know, if there were going to be like three facts you could arm <laughs> yourself with right right now today to, to not get scammed, that's probably right. one that's if you didn't know it. But but more broadly, right, more, more broadly, like there's no sort of there's no like set of things that you could know that will sort of solve this whole problem entirely. I think the other the other point we tried to the other the other thing we tried to achieve in writing the book was not only sort of show this framework of like what the cognitive habits and the informational hooks that are involved in all of these scams, but also show so many different examples, right, of how all of these same things can apply to many different areas like, you know, romance scams. We don't talk about much in the book, but it's definitely true. Financial scams. If you read all of this, you will start to recognize the patterns, right? It'll, you'll start to be able, you'll start to notice just like sort of like a, you know, a chess grandmaster, you know, notices like, you know, when the position is dangerous on the board and when it's not and so on, you'll start to notice more of these elements in everyday life. And it'll be much easier for you to sort of figure out, oh, this looks, this looks like something I should avoid. Whereas this looks like maybe I, you know, maybe it's okay. You'll develop better pattern recognition, you know, for scams and, uh, and so on. And that will, I think, help in a, a, you know, reduce the need for constant skepticism, it'll be sort of built in a little bit into your, you know, in, into your automatic, uh, you know, sorts of processing. It helps trigger those times when you should just ask, is this really true? Yeah. Which, which is a simple thing to ask yourself. What, would, what evidence would I need to know if this was really true? And wow. another general principle is there's almost never urgent time pressure to do anything, <laughs> right? There's almost always time to ask a couple <laughs> more questions. Yeah. So... You know, most of the, most of these scammers will put you under huge amounts of time pressure and say, this is urgent. You have to do this now or else with, you know, whenever you get yeah. that sort of time pressure, especially if there's somebody saying that they're a government organization, governments yeah. move slowly, companies <laughs> tend to move slowly. And, you know, there's and, nothing and the one thing urgent. they do is the one thing they do is they don't send the cops to your door, but then right. call you on the phone while the cops are in transit to give you one more chance to pay the fine. You know, like it yeah. just doesn't work that way. But that's right. like half of these call center things are like, you know, the police are coming. But if you start paying us money right now, like we'll call them off. Like, again, it doesn't work that oh, yeah. way. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's a time pressure thing. Like, is you know, mm-hmm. is, is fear is, and time is, pressure. Is, yeah. yeah. Unbelievable. Um, 
when if you pay them, you actually probably increases the chances the police will come after you. <laughs> oh, they'll ask you, and they'll ask you for more yeah. money. You'll be, you'll no, be, part, of, you'll be some, part of it. You'll be part of it. No, yeah. that's that's exactly yeah. true, Scott. Like yep. some people who have fallen into the Nigerian scam have been prosecuted yeah. in the yeah. U.S. because they basically wind up doing fraudulent things themselves in order to oh, get money yeah. for these guys. You know, they wind up like kiting checks or forging documents or getting other people involved, right? You know, because they think they're doing the right thing to get their own money. I think the Tinder swindler, uh, the girl who fell for the Tinder swindler, I think she ended up doing some illegal things to get the money for him. Yeah, yeah. There was a person, uh, yeah. in, I, think I think it was Louisiana, yep. who was charged as part of the Nigerian email scam. And he was yes. roped in initially through a romance scam. But once he was in, then he was kind of in this position of having to help them out as their sort of American contact. Yes. So ended up, ended up basically laundering money. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. You're, you're really opening up people's eyes massively to this kind of stuff. Um, you're doing a great service. Uh, you have this motto. We kind of ended it. You have this motto, accept less, check more. That's your that's your tagline in a, in a way. Um, you know, what are some examples of deceptive answers to questions that that should cause you to accept less, check more? You know. Oh, I know one. Okay. We're how about this? We're following best practices. Oh no. Um, I, I'm not sure we yep. even mentioned that one in the book, but no. like that's that's in a way my biggest regret is that we didn't mention that in the book yeah. because we do have a section where we talk about sort of like sort of evasive non-answers that people will give you when you do try to check more. And, you know, oh, this is a best practice is is one of those because that's sort of an empty response, you know, like who said it was a best practice? What's the evidence that it's best? How do you know that it's best? Like it just opens up so many more questions, but it, it tends to sort of be designed to shut down our questioning when in fact it should lead us to wonder really more what's going on, you know, behind that claim. I did that one's on my mind right now. Dan, what's your favorite? Well, it's like we, we did our due diligence. Like, yeah. well, you know, this is one of those classic cases, you know, the writer's adage, uh, show don't tell. Yeah. Saying yes. we did our due diligence is a tell. What was your yes. due diligence? Just tell me, show me, show me what you did. Right. And you can say, okay, you know, you did your due diligence. What did you do exactly? And then often you find out they did nothing. Right. They, they looked at Google or something. Right. Uh, or, you know, it's been validated is another fun one. Oh, it's like, yeah, this, this process, it's been validated. I like, can't tell by, you how. By who yeah. or what? Yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. I saw this uh, article the other day. It's like, Eastern philosophy that there's no self has been confirmed by science. <laughs> it has been confirmed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, my, head, my head, you know, exploded and I wrote a whole tweet about this. I'm like, first of all, who who is science? I'd love to have a word with her. <laughs> like, 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 you know, like I yeah. didn't think that. I see this all the time. Science confirms, you know, and it's like, or or even more. Do you see this sometimes where they're like, Harvard found X Y Z. You mean one motherfucker from Harvard found? But you know, it's like you're not saying like, what does yeah. that mean? Harvard found? You know, like they 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 add this shit just to sound legitimate. Yeah. You know, but another another well, one that I really like is the, you know, we're transparent. Like anybody <laughs> yeah. who ever has to say that they we're are transparent the way, if anyone says is not being transparent. Yeah. yeah. Right? yeah. Or if you're, in a date, if you're in a date with someone, they're like, just, so you know, I'm not a serial killer. Run <laughs> in the opposite <laughs> fucking direction. Run. Well, it's like, why do you even think about that? Why did you even, like, why do you even think about that? <laughs> it's like, I know I'm you like, can't just, be a serial so killer. You know, because, yeah. yeah. Just don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Yeah. I'm not a serial killer. Like, oh, no. You now be, I'm You can't be a serial killer. Now the odds that there are two serial killers right here. Yeah, that's true. I saw, I saw that. I saw that TikTok video yeah. the other day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. I was always looking to find another person just like me. You know. That's yeah, a, yeah, that is funny. Uh, that is no. Funny. I think um, that's like one of the pieces of advice we do give in the book is like ask more questions and like you say, accept accept less, check more. Sometimes just one more question is useful, but often we have the tendency to sort of be be bullshitted by like one of these non-response, you know, responses. So it's important before you ask a question to sort of have some discernment about what might actually count as an answer versus versus what doesn't, because otherwise it can be sort of a, you know, box checking exercise. Like, oh, we asked them and they said they did their due diligence, so everything must be fine, you know? Yeah. Mm. And there, I mean, there are ways to ask questions. It's awkward to ask questions sometimes, right? So, yeah, you know, pressing somebody for an answer, the social norms are, are against that in many contexts, but there, there are kind of ways yeah. of asking questions without seeming to be confronting somebody. So, you know, what more can you tell me? Right. And just kind of keep asking that. It's like the the equivalent of a three year old saying "why" over and over again until you run out of answers, right? You know, just well, what you guys would tell be, me. Well, you, you guys know. would be good interrogators. You guys would be good police interrogators. You could probably <laughs> apply a lot of these principles to yeah to that sort of stuff. 
I, I've reached the end of my questions that I want to ask you guys today. I want to just thank you so much for putting this book out in the world. I really did enjoy it. And it's good to see another collabo between you two. I hope you don't wait as long next time <laughs> to have another book because the world needs you to. So thank you so much for being on my show. Yeah, We'll see you in 2026, right? No, <laughs> sorry, 2036. My math yeah, is off. My, yeah. yeah. My, well, we'll, we'll see you. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully we'll, we'll, yeah. uh, hopefully we'll, we'll do some more stuff. And it's time, really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's really been great. Uh, it's really been great talking, talking to you again, Scott. Yeah. yeah. And, and great to meet you. Absolutely. I've all, you know, the last time I, I had any thought of Dan is when we were both on brain games together uh, yeah. a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. That was quite a while ago. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like season so two, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's great to, great to catch up again. Yeah, cool. definitely. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Psychology Podcast. If you'd like to react in some way to something you heard, I encourage you to join in the discussion at thepsychologypodcast.com or on our YouTube page, The Psychology Podcast. We also put up some videos of some episodes on our YouTube page as well, so you'll want to check that out. Thanks for being such a great supporter of the show, and tune in next time for more on the mind, brain, behavior, and creativity. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.